Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hi, Michael. How are you today? I'm good, Barry. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about pictures. How are you doing? <laughs> Is that what we're doing? I that's, think that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. I am doing well, and I too am eager to talk about pictures more specifically uh, in the context of Roland Barthes' 1964 essay, The Rhetoric of the Image. Uh, may I sort of briefly explain, you can make sure that I keep it brief, but may I briefly explain why we're doing this and why we're talking about Barthes' essay? And, yeah, go for it. And, and give our listeners a sense of where we're going from here or, and why we're doing this. So uh, in our last episode, where we were talking about our dear friend, Marshall Cohen, and we were talking about his book, whatever, or, you know, we'll call it a book, whatever it was, collection of words and images and epigrams and things like this, collage style, um, McLuhan's 1970 text, Culture is Our Business. And I don't, you know, actually, Michael, I think I have you to blame for this because I think it was you who, apropos of nothing except your own insight, you said, oh, you know, this reminds me of Bart. Yep. And we had a brief uh, discussion of Bart in that episode, but only brief because we wanted to talk about Marshall McLuhan. Now, uh, after the episode, we thought, golly, Bart would be a discussion of that generative essay, that very, very powerful and influential essay, uh, might be entirely appropriate for this episode. So both Michael and I set ourselves to a, we gave ourselves a little bit of a homework assignment and we said, let's read this essay and talk about it. And so what we're going to do now is we're, uh, we're going to turn this episode not so much into a discussion explication of the ins and out of Roland Barthes' essay, The Rhetoric of the Image, but we're going to try to do what we always try to do with this particular podcast and whether we're talking, discussing a topic of the day or talking about uh, a particular text, a foundational text in media theory or a more recent text, we try to build a bridge uh, for ourselves and for our listeners to, um, to the current media landscape. And, to, and we want to use these texts uh, as tools to enable our reading and understanding of the contemporary uh, media landscape. So with that in mind, we're not going to do so much as a full explication of uh, Roland Barthes' the Rhetoric of the Image Essay, so much as try to build and try to give you uh, an example, try to give the listener, try to give you the listener some examples of uh, some possibilities of contemporary, some possible contemporary relevances uh, that I think that come, some points made by Bart that I think have contemporary relevance. And I think Michael has a, uh, a very good grasp of that. And I'm, I know he's going to deliver heroically on this. Um, what's the format of our episode? And then I'll shut up. What's the format of our episode? In order to deliver that particular kind of content, here's what we decided to do. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different, which is uh, we're going to read, I think Michael is going to read, and uh, the last paragraph of a section in the essay called uh, about the denoted image. Is that right. correct? Michael? That's correct. Right. Okay. So you're going to read that part of the essay 
and we are going to gloss it and interpret some of his, Bart has a lot of specialized terminology. As we come across it, we'll try to gloss it. But what we're really trying to do is move past Bart's points or through Bart's points to talk about the contemporary media landscape, including timely events like the war in Ukraine. So that's our goal. That's our format. Let's get started. Right. So um, I think that before we just jump in, and I'm I, I, again, I think it's it, it doesn't serve our purpose here to try and gloss the entire um, chapter, but I think that it's helpful to know maybe why we chose this specific moment. Thank you. And so the chapter's broken into four sections, right? He's got one called three messages, one called linguistic meanings, one called the denoted image, and then the final section called the rhetoric of the image. And we settled, and, and, and the argument goes from his deconstruction of a advertisement for Panzani pasta, um, through these four sort of waypoints, right? And so, <clears throat> excuse me, for, for us, the, we felt that that space between the denoted image and the rhetoric of the image was the most fertile ground in terms of the discussions we've been having and hope to have. Um, so Barry, correct me uh, if, if you can, um, but when we talk, when he talks, when Bart talks about the denoted image, what he's really speaking about is the actual picture itself, the image itself, right? Like the image as a, the image sort of stripped of any sort of meaning. Signification. Okay. Yeah. So um, yes, uh, this which, is really. Which we should add. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. As I understand it, that's exactly what Bart's saying. But, and we should also add, he's talking, when he talks about the denoted image, it's a little bit of a contradiction, uh, but a generative one. He's talking about the denoted image, and he means exactly what you say. The idea of the natural image, that the idea that the image is speaking to you naturally without the medium of language, that is the denoted image. But Bart, the whole purpose of Bart's essay is to say that a denoted image is impossible because there are all these connotations. So right. that's the kind of paradox that he's working. With. And he gets here after he talks about the linguistic message, correct? which is basically right. something that we're not wanting to jump into too much. Um, so, you know, uh, th those of you who came for uh, a crash course in Saussure are going to have to um, wait, wait a little bit longer or go somewhere else. That's not really what we're doing here. So the idea here is that he's wrapping up his discussion of the denoted image and getting ready to talk about the rhetoric of the image. And so we found this um, fertile ground. So um, we're going to jump in. I'm going to read this last paragraph uh, pretty much sentence by sentence. And we're going to sort of take a break and take them apart, take the sentences apart and see what we can figure out and then apply uh, a contemporary context. Uh, where we can. So uh, shall we begin? We shall. <laughs> let, let us then. Okay. We shall, we shall go. Okay. So he says, at all events, the denoted image, to the extent to which it does not imply any code, mm -hmm. the case with the advertising photograph, plays a special role in the general structure of the iconic message 
which we can begin to define, returning to this question after the discussion of the third message, the denoted image naturalizes the symbolic message. Let's stop there. Even though it's mid-sentence, let's stop there. So we're talking here about the denoted image, which we have said is basically the image stripped of any sort of text um, and uh, any type of contextual meaning. It's the idea of the image speaking for itself. But as you can tell in just the sentence you read, he he wants us, he wants his readers to question that idea. He's very much telling you that we have that, he's gonna start using words like naturalizing when Michael keeps on reading. We're gonna come across these verbs like naturalizing and innocenting uh, that the translator uses. Um, these verbs are reminders on Bart's part that what seems to be a natural unmediated representation is in fact mediated and contextual. Right. And so here's a question that I'll pose because I think that this is central to this discussion about images and how they work and the understanding that we take. And this is really media in general is one, is this even possible? I mean, is this discussion really a thing about the denoted image that's somehow atextual or acontextual? Mm -hmm. um, and what, what of the significance that the viewer brings to it? So, for mm -hmm. example, this picture here uh, that, that he's referencing, it, it's a red background with mm -hmm. a net. And in the bottom of the net, there are some onions, uh, looks like a mushroom, some tomatoes. Um, and then the Panzani pasta um, is in there uh, just outside of it is a little thing that looks like Panzani cheese. And then there's a little tin that we assume is probably tomato paste or something along those right. lines. But, you know, but again, the fact that I even have to make an assumption about what that would be. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm curious about this idea of a denoted message that somehow there's no text in it other than the word Panzani, right? All, all the only the only text in this image is the label, um, which you know I guess mm. you would assume is is, is necessary. The only linguistic message is right. The label. Excuse Sorry. me. Yeah. So, um, you know, what what of the meaning that we bring to this ourselves as we see this? A great question. You know, the the red background, for example. All of these are choices. I mean, I think that right. you know what one of the things that I struggle to have my students understand when we talk about stuff like this is that you have to account for the entirety of the image, not just the thing that you zero in on. And so, you know, we might look at something like this and we might say, Hey, look, that background is a conscious choice, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, the fruit in the bottom or the vegetables in the bottom, I guess tomatoes are fruit. This is the, you know, whatever. Um, these are conscious choices, right? The, the decision to use the net versus a basket. These are conscious choices. So all of these choices are made because they're going to resonate with a viewer in some way. And I think this is part of what McLuhan talks mm -hmm. about in terms of like the environments or the context that we understand to be here. So when he says the iconic message, which we can begin to define, the denoted image naturalizes the symbolic message. Mm -hmm. um, take that apart. Take that apart for me. What? What? How do you understand what he's doing here? Well, before I do, and maybe uh, by before I do, let me go back and comment on what you just said, Michael, because I think 
I'm, I may be answering your, your, and if not, we'll, we'll go and pay attention to that specific phrase. But let me go back, because I think you just raised two important points that are worth lingering on, okay? Uh, so I'm going to, so one of your questions was, um, if, I, if I heard it right, is that, you know, um, you said that, you know, you asked, where is the place of contextual meaning in this? The, the meanings that the viewer brings. What, what role does the viewer's own presuppositions and interpretations bring to the image? Is, is Bart accounting for that? And then you talked about how, um, how when you teach images and, and talk about the rhetoric of the image or the structure of the deep structures of images, you remind uh, your students that it's always a conscious choice, even the things that seem to be negligible of a negligible importance of conscious choice. Well, I would say that there is no conflict between that when you make that point, that could not be, you are Roland Barthes, junior and senior or whatever. You, that, that is a quintessentially Gallic Bartian point. So that's one, one thing, that's one response. You had two questions. That would be my answer there is that I don't think there's a conflict. I think he's very aware that the viewer is bringing all these things and activating the image in exactly the way you said it. And his major idea about the advertisement is that it seems haphazard and natural, but it's carefully constructed. Exactly your word. Right, right. So you are, you're totally in sync with Roland Bat. But, but you also asked another intriguing question uh that i thought you said you, i thought you also asked um why does he even think this is a something that could be you know why does he even believe in the naturalness of the image and right. i think i think there is an explanation for it or i want to try out an explanation for it and you tell me whether you think this is an adequate explanation i think he alludes to the reason why he's talking he talks a lot about the denoted image but my explanation of this is that he does believe it's bullshit number one but one of the reasons why he keeps bringing it up and this is this, I, i'm interested in your response to this mm -hmm. my explanation is he's bringing it up because he thinks in 1964 as soon as you don't have a painting, he has an interesting disquisition on the differences between, between drawing an and illustration right. and a drawing and an advertising. I think he feels Roland Barthes, as we know, thinks that Roland Barthes is very clever and understands things. But I think that he feels the ideology of his, even his sophisticated reading audience, he feels that for many of them, they think photographs are natural, quote unquote, representations of the real world. And so much of advertising has to do with the photographic image. And so I think one of the reasons he's going on and on again about the constructedness of the image in the way that you're reading uh, in, in the passage you were talking about, you, you read, I think it's because he assumes that most of his readers in 1964 are not that aware of, of what he's saying. Uh, that's my explanation. Do you do you buy that? Uh, oh, uh, hook, line, and sinker. And I think that, and this is something we'll 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 circle back to. But I think that in many ways, as our current environments have become increasingly media saturated, 
that this holds even more true now than it did in 1964. Um, I like and am on board with your reading here about the significance of a natural, of the image being natural. And this is something that is not in this section of the text, but he talks about um, sketching or drawing as something that is much Always stylized. So we always know we're has a, yes. And that's, that's the language he uses. Thank you. Is that there's a style to it. Um, and at first I was taken aback because you know, my, my response was along the lines of, well, how are you going to make the argument that there is no style in photography? But the argument is that the image comes from nothing. Excuse me. The sketch Correct. comes from nothing. Correct. Whereas Bingo. the image Bingo. is merely yeah. a snapshot of a, an existing reality. That's and it. So, you did okay. So you let's go it. back. Let's go back to the text with this okay. as our sort of uh, terra firma. Um, all the event at all events, the denoted image to the extent which it does not imply any code. The case with the advertising photograph plays a special role in the general structure of the iconic message, which we can begin to define returning to this question after the discussion of the third message, which was beginning. The denoted image naturalizes the symbolic message, right? So it makes it look natural. It innocence, right? So it makes innocent the semantic artifice of connotation. Gotcha. Which is extremely right. dense, especially in advertising. So I think this is pretty much what we just talked about. It is. But just to recap, what we're saying here is that the denoted image, right? So in this case, the picture of the pasta, and we'll come up with other examples right. of this as we move forward, right. makes, creates a, a, an idea that seems natural, that seems as if it is a pre-existing natural state of something. And in making this thing natural, it makes any sort of connotated argument, right? Any sort of sub-argument seem innocent and sort of implicit in a thing. And so grounded in reality, I would even go as far as that it makes this constructed image seem grounded in the reality of the world seems totally real. When we say something seems natural, aren't we really saying at the same one in the same time? It's the truth. It's real. Right. Well, okay, yes, yes, absolutely. And so the, the argument here, I guess, if you say a picture's worth a thousand words, what he's saying is that all of those words are real and truthful. And that that's what the image, that's what the photographic image and advertising tells us. Yes. Right. Which is very, very different than a hand-drawn image, which would be correct. Right. right. Okay, good. All right. So Michael, we have an automatic segue to your brilliant, uh, to some of the brilliant points you were making in the pre-episode when we were talking about contemporary rel relevances. Cause I think enough with the damn panzini that bar talks about let's go right into the war in ukraine well let's i'll tell you let's hold, talk hold, about hold, Zelensky. Let's hold on talk to about that hold friend. on hold on to that for one second because okay, sure, the next line sure. directly references panzini let's, so let's to not it. trip on ourselves okay but but yes we'll get there um although so he he continues although the panzini poster is full of quote symbols there nonetheless remains in the photograph insofar as the literal message is sufficient a kind of natural being there of objects. Nature seems spontaneously to produce the scene represented. Right. So what he's saying, in right. other words, here, as I read this, 
-hmm. is that there are a number of symbols, things we can read into. But despite all of this, the picture as it is, as it exists, has a air of authenticity or naturalness to it, um, which creates this idea that it's it's the truth. We got a representation. It's, yeah, it's it's right. it's it's almost as if this is a place, and you could go yes. see it, and it's a thing. Yes. Yes. And so to that, I, I think the significance to this, mm-hmm. this idea of a being there, right? Like this is this is not a creation. This is a reality. You can go and see this thing for yourself. Trust me, it's real. Um, the the idea here, I think, is that this idea of truth or this idea of naturalness is still very much a construction. That's it. And mm-hmm. go ahead. I, I just want to, I think we should stop at, at, at every time when we can draw attention to a Frenchman making fun of Ger- Germans, right? We should always stop whatever we're doing and talk about the ways in which the French mock the Germans and pay due homage to that because when he's talking about the being there and authenticity the authenticity of the emergence of being he's referencing our other dear friend martin heidegger and totally what mocking him by saying that being there even the appearance of being itself is in which heidegger as we know you know from even a, a passing familiarity with Heidegger. Heidegger equates truth with aletheia, with the appearance of being, and that's the ground of truth. All his philosophy is an apparatus for that. And here, Roland Barthes introduces Martin Heidegger only to sort of kick him in the poor teeth. I feel sorry about Martin about this. That's avenging World War I and World War II. I suppose with with pasta. Um, (laughs) So I think this is, but to your point earlier, I I think that's, that's really smart. I want to stop and just, just acknowledge that. Well, it's, it's, it's mean and crude. And it should, well, not only that, but I think also listeners should, should know just to add some weight to, to Barry's take there being there is italicized. So it is, it is very clearly a reference to, so that's smart. I, man, good Good on me today. Good on <laughs> I got you. 10 points. So to, to apply this, um, and, and Barry and I were talking about this before we started recording. Um, I was thinking as I read this about all of the images that are surrounding the war in Ukraine that we're seeing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, re- regardless, and, and this, this was really talked about heavily in the, in the very first few days of the war. Um, but it's still now about how, despite what was happening on the battlefield, the, the Ukraine was really just kicking Russia's ass in the digital information game. And this, I think, is an instance where we can talk about what that means. Um, if you look at the images that are coming back of Zelensky, right, and he is not a man of how do you want to say this? Maybe he, he's not a man of significant stature, right? He's not six he's foot not four, hulking, 220 tall. pounds yeah, of right, chiseled right. man. Right. He's, he's, he's a, I mean, you know, he, he's, he's basically dad bought it out to, he's, he's just a guy. 
but the images that you see, you know, the green shirt that has become synonymous with this conflict, um, all of the images of him outside wearing the, the, the body armor, um, his facial expressions, there is a natural air about all of this. He does not look, you know, George Bush got mocked for this, for example, when he wore the flight suit. Oh, right. Um, right. You know, that's a great context. Yeah. And, and, and it was just an unnatural pairing. Right. And this the, the images that you have back of Zelensky, uh, you know, shifting him from uh, politician to wartime leader um, are profoundly natural. And the air of defiance that he wears in all these things is 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 consistently, uh, you know, a calm defiance. There, there's there's this sense of control and natural stability that these images uh, radiate, which I, you know, I, I think is a, is a powerful tool when contrasted with the way that Putin has been represented um, in these, you know, consistently alone, consistently old looking. Um, none and of the- weary and haggard and, and frankly, sickly. Like he looks like he's suffering from something I, to me. Well, and he, yeah. And that's the thing is whether or not, these are in fact you know natural states for these men is is beside the point quite frankly it it is the fact that this is the portrayal that has come to be the natural state for these men and so i think that you know these are advertisements that say this is how the war is going um and they're powerful ones because they don't require text they don't require um you know any sort of uh, cipher to, to, to what, to, to, to understand. So that's a great point. It's interesting that in the, Bart spends a lot of time in the essay that we're not talking about. He spends a lot of time, uh, discussing the specifically linguistic, the ways in which the Panzaniad presents a linguistic image or, um, a linguistic image a linguistic message or presents its messages through linguistic, through the linguistic. However, uh, which you noted, we don't have captions. Right. This particular no. case of the denoted image does not require captions. No. And what's fascinating is where you do have captions, it's so-and-so at such and such a place. The caption Correct. has nothing to Correct. do right. with the, um, you know, the, the ethos behind the image, it, they seem to be sort of historically stamping them, which I think, Correct. again, Correct. is a right. very conscious move to naturalize right. the, the, the power right. of the image. Let's 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 continue on, because I think that, that, that you know, we're we're sort of swimming in Bart's waters here, which is good. Um, although Panzani poster is full of symbols, there is not there nonetheless remains in the photograph insofar as the literal image message is sufficient a kind of natural being there of objects. Nature seems spontaneously to produce the scene represented. That's what we just finished talking about. A pseudo truth is surreptitiously substituted for the simple validity of openly semantic systems. The absence of code de-intellectualizes the message because it seems to, fa- because it seems to find in nature the signs of culture. That's exactly again. That's what we. I, I'm feeling proud of ourselves because that's exactly what we've been talking about with the Zelensky image, right? Yeah, 
the yeah. way that that this cultural image it's him with a shirt right that's a culture that doesn't happen in the state of nature that's a extremely historical specific cultural signifier that's being read within equally specific determinative cultural context that has nothing to do with nature but it's turning culture the image turns culture into nature into the thing we can't question this seems that seems to have the bear uh, the weight and uh, and carry the the gravitas of truth naturalness and authenticity yeah now it's fascinating though because if you think about this the, i think that this example really teases out the distinction that bart makes earlier between an image and the assumption of truth uh, versus a drawing and the uh, application of style. If you think about this, if these were sketches, they would read differently if they were because they were. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's that's an interesting thing. Um, so, OK, I don't think we need to, to pick at that too much. I think I think we had we had inadvertently kind of, you know, illustrated or or elaborated the same point that he seems to be elaborating in that sentence okay well let's so he's got um, one or two more sentences here let's do it this is without a doubt an important historical paradox the more technology develops the diffusion of information and notably images the more it provides the means of masking the constructed meaning under the appearance of the given meaning right and that ends the section so um, my translation of this, since you've been doing a lot of lifting, I'll do this, um, is basically he's saying that the more that technology develops the diffusion of information and most notably images, right? The more common these images become, the more central in our um, consciousness these become, the more that we are going to assume that these are natural and that their messages are natural representations of a reality, um, then that we will see them as constructions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think this is fairly clear, um, which is happy for us. Um, so I, I think if you don't mind, I kind of want to take this a little bit afield. And, and so, you know, we often end, end these episodes by saying, well, what's the takeaway? What, what, is, what does this all mean to you? I'm going to sort of connect or at least throw a couple different pieces on the table here. Right. Obviously, we've been talking about Ukraine and the images of Zelensky. Uh, and how they get naturalized, how the denoted image gets naturalized. Right. So it represents culture. Right. And yeah. so you see cultural meaning. They, they do. They, they take on uh, this 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 meaning of, you know, uh, we will win. Right. Of, of right. confidence. Uh, and you juxtapose those with the images of Putin that have been circulated where he is, you know, broken or defeated or isolated, which, you know, is not an accident. Right. That mirrors the sort of current um, political quandary that he finds himself in. Right. Like you are now alone and unsupported in this and it's aged you and blah, 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 blah. Um, I was thinking about this in terms of our sort of just de facto willingness to accept the content that we're given, but not so much that we accept it, but the more that it's in front of us, the less likely we are to understand that the meanings behind the images are constructions, that there is a rhetorical power 
to these things. So I'm going to come back to your favorite digital application, TikTok. All right. And yeah, I was reading, and I apologize, I don't have the actual source in front of me, but I was reading recently about TikTok and you know the fears that surround TikTok. So TikTok is a Chinese-owned company. Um, Chinese-owned means it's largely state-controlled. Um, I found it interesting, for example, that in China, they have to run a different version of TikTok than the one that we get, because I think that the government understands, hey, this is not something we, we want our own people even messing with, but you know, they'll give it to us, which is great. Um, and I realized, I learned uh, in the reading this that apparently more people visit TikTok daily than and Google, Google. Yeah. which is terrifying. Um, but there was a line in well, there. Why is it terrifying? Tell, well, tell our listeners I'm why get, is it terrifying. I'm, I'm getting there. Um, okay, okay, you are. Okay. <laughs> I want to hear. I'm rolling slowly here. Um, <laughs> there was a line in the article that, and I'm paraphrasing here, that basically said, what we look at, what we spend our attention on determines where we go and how we see. And it's terrifying because if we're looking at TikTok and if this is what has our attention, then we are going to be thinking along the lines that TikTok defines for us. TikTok will create, or whatever the app is, but I'm using TikTok here because it's so prevalent, will create a naturalized reality where not, not so much that we think that you know, somebody doing X, Y, or Z dance or is whatever natural, it is, is right, natural, right. but we will not question the rhetorical implications, the, Correct. the, the, right. the persuasive arguments made. And if that is the case, what we're doing is we are really ceding control of our critical thinking faculties to something that we are by its shape encouraged to think of as harmless distraction. And so, you know, I, I think that this is the argument that we've seen around all sorts of digital social media platforms where they seem very innocent and the average person is going to say, well, oh, I only use it for X or I only use it for Y or the whole argument about this, that, or the other is overblown. I can make my own decision. But I think that what we take from BART is an argument that says, look, this forms your idea of natural, of truth, of reality. This sets what McLuhan calls the media environment, environment. for you which then sets the rules by which you will make these determinations. And so when you look at it in those terms, it becomes a much more significant and much more powerful thing. I have very little to add to that, to add to that, but I do have a takeaway, which is very much in your spirit. If I may, I'd like to give you the takeaway and we can bring this ship into the dock. How about we do that? Absolutely. My thought, um, before you went into your, but also when you were giving your, your summary point, one of the things that occurred to me was maybe I, I returned to this idea that we talked about it. We mentioned a couple of times during uh, the program, the fact that this was written in the early 60s and published in the early 60s in its original form. And a couple of times in the program, we were, um, we were discussing ways in which the media environment has changed, perhaps, uh, not perhaps, that 
we I would say definitely, you would say definitely in the years, in the subsequent years since this was published and produced. And my takeaway is similar to your takeaway in this regard. I was, not, you know, look at your wonderful example, thinking about your wonderful example of uh, Belinsky. In 1964, when Bard is writing, there's still the power of the, and in fact, maybe my point is also a McLuhan-esque point, but in 1964, when Bard is writing, there's still this idea that you need a little bit of a linguistic message to create the, to slam down, to nail down the denoted image. And what strikes me about your example, Michael, is that, and, and TikTok's prevalence, I think my comment is very much in, in the harmony with your comment, because your example of Zelensky and how that image, that denoted image becomes authentic truth, and your discussion of TikTok, the ways in which the form of TikTok, the brevity of it, um, the fact that written discourse, linguistic discourse, is not as important as the dance, as the, as the gesture, as the ethos of the speaker. Can we, maybe we can chart out the, are we seeing the death of the linguistic message in the denoted image? That's my takeaway. I'm, I'm beginning to, I'm wondering, I guess I'm at, I leave, I don't have a thought, but I have a question. Are we seeing the end? Does your example of TikTok and also your examples of Zelensky and uh, Putin, do they show that we don't, we don't need linguistic codes anymore to have a powerful, seemingly authentic, hegemonic, denoted image? Yeah, I don't, I think that, I think we could go, I think that's the subject for um, another episode in its entirety. I think that that's going to really depend whose Kool-Aid you're drinking. Um, and I don't have an, I don't have a quick answer for that. I, I think that that's probably, um, that's a good place to end. I agree, Michael. Hey, that was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that conversation. It worked on out all right. And I didn't out. expect, I didn't expect, I have to, we, can I confess to our listeners that um, I'm not going to speak for you. I'll just speak for me that I wasn't anticipating a fun time uh, talking about this essay today, but I had a lot of fun talking about it and working through that. The most important thing, I talked a lot, Michael talked, but who didn't we hear from Michael? We need to hear from you, dear listener. Exactly. Like, please like, respond, comment. Uh, we, we love your comments. We want more of them. Uh, and we want to hear where you stand in all these texts. And if there's something that we, you want us to discuss, I hope you give us an agenda. We're pliant people. Michael, aren't we pliant? We're pliant. We are. We're, 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 we're begging to be made more pliant, in <laughs> fact. So yeah, if you've got thoughts, if you've got questions, again, you can go ahead and email us from the website, which is criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. Uh, you can email us directly from the website and, uh, you know, we, we, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Take care, Michael. You too, Barry. Thanks a lot. Hey there. One more thing real quick. If you have questions or comments about what we've talked about, go ahead and drop us an email from our website at www.criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. Or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram 
at Critical Media Studies Pod. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. Thank you.